Welcome to the Fiber for Breakfast podcast, a series that discusses fiber as the critical infrastructure for today's growing broadband needs. Listen in as Gary Bolton, CEO and President of the Fiber Broadband Association, speaks with industry thought leaders and experts about connectivity issues and the impact on the remote workplace. I hope you enjoy today's discussion, which will start momentarily. And remember to subscribe and like this podcast on your favorite platform. This week's Fiber for Breakfast brought to you by our platinum sponsor, Wesco. Good morning and um, welcome to the Fiber Broadband Association's Fiber for Breakfast. We're now in our third episode of 2023, and this has been a very busy so far, a year so far. Uh, before we kick off, I'd like to thank Wesco, the platinum sponsor of Fiber Breakfast, and Nokia, the gold sponsor of Fiber for Breakfast. You know, yesterday during a speech at CSIS, FTC Chairwoman Jessica Rosenworcel outlined her actions to address the risk of cybersecurity events. She outlined 10 key steps that the FCC has taken. You know, first is the revitalization of the cybersecurity forum, which includes the leadership from 32 federal agencies, including Homeland Security. Second is that she reestablished the Communications Security Reliability and Interoperability Council to review new risks to service providers from attacks in software and cloud service stacks. The FCC also published a list of communications and services that pose an unacceptable risk to national security. This list of companies primarily includes Huawei, ZTE, and a number of other Chinese companies. Fourth, there's a $2 billion program in place to rip and replace Huawei and ZTE equipment from our nation's communications infrastructure. And fifth, a rulemaking to require um, broadcast emergency alert systems to have a cybersecurity risk management plan. And the sixth action they've taken is to prohibit the authorization of telecom or video equipment from Huawei or ZTE. And seventh, they protect our personal data on our mobile phones to fall into the wrong hands by updating the rules to require carriers to protect our privacy and security of our data. And eighth, the FCC revoked the operating authorities for four Chinese state-owned carriers. And ninth, the FCC will work with Congress to reauthorize the FCC's authority to auction spectrum licenses. And lastly, number 10, the FCC has taken measures to keep national security assessments up to date. You know, in line with uh, the chairwoman's efforts to protect our national communications infrastructure, the Fiber Broadband Association's Trusted Fiber Working Group has just completed an an extensive white paper that outlines key recommendations and actions for a number of federal agencies. We're going to be holding preliminary meetings with some of these key agencies over the next few weeks prior to publishing and releasing this paper. Today at 11 a.m., the Fiber Broadband Association, along with our sponsor, Broadband.Money, will be holding our first episode of Where's the Funding? This is a 12-part series that will provide keen insights and outline strategies and key tips for securing broadband funding from the upcoming NTIB funding program. Today's episode, we'll be discussing intro to matching funds, and you can register at the www.fiberbroadband.org webinars. You're not gonna to wanna to miss it. Before we get started, I'd also like to remind everyone that our first regional Fiber Connect workshop this year is just around the corner. It'll be held in Raleigh, North Carolina on Tuesday, February 7th. Registration is now open and we hope that you'll be able to join us. This event will be sold out shortly, so please register today. 
This brings us to today's Fire for Breakfast session with Richard St. Clair, the um, COO of Zoom. Richard is going to share with us his insights on making Britain faster and what the U.S. might learn from the U.K.'s fiber rush or fiber gold rush. Last week on Fire for Breakfast, we heard from Tammy Herlin of Vantage Point, who discussed the important topic of the FCC broadband data collection now and later, the challenges round two, and what happens after. This was a very timely session, as last Friday was the deadline for states to make their challenges. Today on Fiverr for Breakfast, our guest is Richard Sinclair, the COO of one of the UK's leading fiber networks, Zoom. Richard is going to share with us his insights on making Britain faster and what the US might learn from the UK's fiber gold rush. Richard is the chief operating officer at one of the UK's leading fiber networks, Zoom, a private equity owned. Um, and scaled startup. Zoom has delivered over a thousand, I want to say, is that a thousand, or excuse me, a hundred thousand full fiber homes in 18 months. Previously, Richard was the executive director for connectivity at Liberty Global in the UK, leading on broadband and Wi Fi products across 15 million customers at 5.5 billion pounds of revenue. Prior to this, Richard was the general manager at TalkTalk. With responsibilities for living the first ever UK gigabit speed network. He was also the delivery director at the London 2012 Olympic Games for Radio Spectrum. And earlier this month, Richard had an exciting career, or excuse me, earlier, Richard had an exciting career in the British Army, and he was decorated with an MBE, the most excellent order of the British Empire. So that's almost like being knighted, right, Richard? Um, that must have been an interesting ceremony. With uh, welcome, Richard, and for our audience, please type in your questions as go and work them into the Q and A at the end. With that, let's get things started, and I'll turn it over to Richard. Thank you very much indeed, Gary. Um, that was a very warm welcome, and I'm delighted to be breakfasting with you this morning, however virtually. Um, maybe we can move straight to slide three because you you did be justice with the introduction. So hopefully, all the listeners uh, will will know enough to get us going. Uh, I thought it'd be worthwhile starting back in 2019, which, as many of you know, in broadband terms, feels like a long time ago. Um, but those of you with an interest in international politics will perhaps remember that the British Prime Minister in 2019 set an agenda to bring 85% of the country into full fibre and gigabit-capable broadband by 2025. If you like, that was the, the starting gun that set off the race in Britain. And it was obviously uh, a, a noise, a starting sound that attracted the attention of the two major incumbents, British Telecom, obviously, and Virgin Media um, as part of the Liberty Global Group. British Telecom had, of course, the challenge that they decided that they would move incrementally from ADSL through to BDSL or fibre to the cabinet rather than fibre to the presence. And they'd now need to change to a full fibre solution. And similarly, Virgin Media had a DOCSIS upgrade uh, in place, which would allow uh, those guys to hit uh, gigabit speeds. Of course, politically, we had Brexit. Um, in 2020, or at least the, the announcement of Brexit. 
and the government's uh, desire, imperative perhaps, to make sure that we had significant digital economy growth. I read that the government estimated that there was a £151 billion, pounds or about $180 billion, uh, contributing to the UK economy from the digital sector. So this really underlined the importance of getting full fibre coverage of the UK. Probably worth noting, um, for those of you that haven't had the chance to come to visit us here in England, but whilst uh, the landmass of the US is, is about 40 times bigger than that of the UK, the population, population density is pretty different. I think there's 68 million people living in the UK, and I definitely don't want to get dragged into the politics of whether they're legal, illegal, or whatever else. Um, but that's that's roughly aligned to the 270 million people that I think statisticians broadly agree on in the US. That's segregated the market. Um, that that gold rush segregated the market into four areas. I've talked a little bit about the incumbents. Uh, for those of you that can see my slides on the on the bottom left, um, BT Openreach building out to the fibre to the premise homes, whilst Virgin Media continued the upgrade to Doxis. But of course, both of these massive telecoms companies uh, had inevitably to be slow to begin their deployments, not only due to the scale of the projects, but also the intensive capital requirement and the uh, investment in their legacy assets that needed to take place. Others took the view that actually the new builds were the way to go. Um, and building out to those uh, from scratch is obviously one strategy. And in England, where Hyperoptic is, is a pretty famous company that does that part of the market. Uh, and similarly, another alternative is to build out wholesale. And the most famous of those is probably City Fiber, who build on anchor tenants, whether that's um, the public service, business connections, or MNOs. And they build out from pre-established metro rings, reaching out fibre to the premise uh, to some eight to ten million homes. The fourth sector, which is the one that I'm most heavily involved in and familiar with, uh, involves those entrepreneurs that saw the opportunity to get to market quickly, build a retail capability uh, using some kind of demand or using a variety of demand-led strategies. Um, as well as building out future wholesale capacity into that initial network deployment. And that's the quadrant that we're going to spend most time talking about today. The one thing that's key to ensure a great customer journey is the ability to, to connect uh, the end customers quicker and at a cheaper cost and make sure that they're supported in life and I think in the UK, we've all got a fairly similar customer journey where we've got the core network, uh, we build out to cabinets, uh, and then we lay from those cabinets fiber either in, in the ground or overhead to get to the customer premise. There's then usually a break in the customer journey at the property boundary where a, a separate truck roll takes place to connect the customer where an ONT is fitted inside the house uh, and fibre laid through the garden or from a pole outside into that customer's premise. And hopefully at that point, they can start enjoying 
amazing broadband. But of course, as fiber experts, we're always looking for the network upgrades and in-life support to make sure that the customer is not just excited by our product today, but also excited by the product in years to come. So we often describe our connectivity as the emotive utility. In fact, a survey of British customers ranked their broadband requirements ahead of that of gas, television, and mobile phones. I'm not sure if the water people were involved in the survey, but uh, you know that's pretty important too. But, but connectivity was right at the front of the queue there. Now, the first time that this came you know, really apparent to me was back in 2015. Uh, I was working building broadband in York, and I like to joke that that's old York as opposed to New York, um, when a devastating flood really put pay to the telephone exchanges uh, of the incumbent. That outage obviously came at the worst time of the year when people were off for the holidays and there were skeleton staff, etc. Um, so families took the initiative into their own hands and moved many of the Christmas uh, celebrations into those homes that had full fibre provided by TalkTalk. Of course, the full fibre wasn't impacted by the flooding because we'd had the foresight to make sure that the active cabinets had been placed on higher ground outside of the floodplain. Uh, you know, and let me tell you the amount of gratitude that flowed from politicians, local folks, um, and families who were able to provide that connectivity to one another was hugely, hugely significant. Moving on to today's time, um, I've, I've shared a picture of a guy called Ollie, uh, who is undoubtedly you know, a, a favorite of mine. Um, he, he's left some great reviews on Trustpilot, which you know, I'd encourage you to go and reach out and, uh, and have a read of some of those yourself. But it's a particular favorite because he, he chose the line um, that historically his kids have been yelling at him, Dad, your internet's rubbish, but all of that stopped now. The ping is good. I don't expect all of our uh, retail customers to be able to uh, define latency and ping speeds, uh, but certainly I think we're all very familiar of the kids yelling in the background, Dad, sort the internet out or the internet's rubbish or something else. And delivering that full fiber experience really makes the difference. I'm hugely proud, you know, to be uh, a, a broadband enthusiast. And I look back from just a few years ago where Britain was 46th in the connectivity world, according to uh, the OECD, who, who looked at connectivity. But yet, here we are as the third most prolific users of broadband. So there have been many uh, homes and businesses up and down the country that have been sharing the same sentiment that Ollie has, that the internet is rubbish. Um, rolling out full fiber is undoubtedly the antidote to those concerns. So I think uh, when we look at the future, uh, I think obviously there's, there's relative contain, it's relatively contentious and people have their own views, but I think it's fair to say that the majority of us would coalesce around a future where there are a number 
of alternative networks in the UK who are driving the market in ultra-fast, uh, high-speed broadband for the next number of years. My prediction is that there might be 30 of those initially, and that speed race might be something that lasts for 10 years. Other folks will have different views, and it'd be great to hear from the audience you know, if, if anyone's got a, got a strong view. Um, but I think there's a couple of things that most of us in the UK market can coalesce on. The, the first part of, of that is that of the 120 or, or more smaller networks in the UK that are still operating uh, effectively, there will be a number of acquisitions. And the larger alternates have the huge incentive of gaining both customer scale and the inevitable cost synergies that comes with that. However, a word of caution is that when those busy entrepreneurs from that quadrant of the market that we discussed back in slide four uh, got together, there wasn't consensus on what a network should be. In fact, there's pretty passionate, strong views on each of founders' behalf of what their network should look like with different equipment, different designs, etc. And therefore, there's a lack of plug and play capability across those networks. And that's especially pertinent um, in the in-house customer equipment. Uh, you know, I was thinking when Gary was talking about those security measures at the start of the presentation, you know, there, there are undoubtedly suppliers in the UK that perhaps have used Huawei equipment uh, that need to swap that out. Um, people will be swapping their equipment out for next generation equipment, et cetera. So it's worth uh, just pausing to think of, of that huge number of small network providers, what are the abilities to plug and play and who will have difficulty in doing that? I think the second part, um, second strategy is what will happen with the major incumbents. They are all, well, both very busily going out, building out their networks very quickly indeed to get those customers that they need and to provide the speeds of connectivity that their customers expect. It's quite likely that there will be acquisitions from those major telcos of some of the smaller um, alt-nets that we've been talking about. The question there, though, is how do they plug in to uh, the customers that they've currently got, and how do they balance networks between the copper and uh, the full fiber? And what does that feel like for the consumer? These are the two uh, strategies in the UK that I think will have particular resonance in, in the States. So, uh, you know, what I, what I think is really important perhaps to take away, and again, I welcome your feedback, are the considerations uh, for the US market. You know, how is the US market going to maximize the current customer experience and the investment value that comes from that investment in infrastructure. I, I pose three questions here. The first one, is there a set of architectural principles that cooperatives and other fiber providers could rally around to remove complexity and to allow an ability in the future for those businesses to be combined? I've heard on this show and others uh, talk about some of the ideas that people have in, in order to try and get to a universal standard. 
but I, I would draw people to the to the thought of how easy it is to plug in a USB, whether that's on on your laptop or in your car or wherever it is. You know that common architecture has made for innovation and made for the ease of innovation on lots and lots of different fields. So I would encourage you to, when you're setting out in this journey, or even those that have already set out on this journey, perhaps to spare a moment for that uh, connectivity that's a little bit further down the road. Given that, uh, you know, could these principles increase the future value of the network to investors? Is my is my second uh, question. <clears throat> if the companies, two companies, have already thought about the integration. Undoubtedly, that will have an impact on the, the purchase price for that alt-net or for that network. And it's an easy proposition to imagine a situation where you're in a place that you've got someone looking at two different networks. The one that's easier to uh, integrate will have the better price. Uh, I'm, I'm quite, quite convinced of that. So it really underlines the needs for these architectural principles and cross cooperation to be brought in from the outset. And then the other, looking at it from the other side of the coin and possibly from the most important part of the <coughs> customer journey is what is the customer experience going to be like uh, if they're working in a situation where there are difficulties in bringing networks together? It's very easy to imagine how if one uh, provider purchases another and there's an integration there that makes the customer experience easier, how they would build market share and how the customers might feel if they've had a seamless journey moving uh, to a new provider, moving into a, a different brand and indeed being able to inform and discuss with their neighbours how enjoyable that journey was. And that's about both the in-the-home experience and uh, the experience that, that they have on the network. And if we can get that right and we can get the customer experience right, then I have absolutely no doubt that that drives the economics because customers uh, beget customers, as we say, you know, customers grow other customers by peer recommendation. And again, I'd refer you to trust pilot uh, to have a look and see what the customer experience is there it's not perfect but it's pretty good and if there's happy customers then that makes me very very happy hopefully that's given you enough stimulus uh, to understand what uh, the uk gold rush is all about and how we've made britain faster over the last five to ten years uh, and i would welcome your questions on any of that subject and more Thanks, Gary. Richard, great stuff here. So tell me, um, right now, where is Britain as far as uh, meeting its objectives to get to an all-fiber network? So we, we get a report cards uh, at the end of the year with Ofcom, the, the regulator, uh, and they were suggesting that you know 40% is completed and done and dusted. It's my suspicion that the vast majority of the UK work has started and that whilst those networks haven't gone live, there's probably 5% um, of the country, 5 to 10% of the country that's untouched 
and those five to ten percent are probably in the real outlying areas uh, such as my beloved Scotland right in the north where government grants and government activity are, are doing their very best to reach out to get to those uh, to get to those customers so I think the report card says there's still quite a bit to do um, but it's definitely uh, doing well to align with those government outcomes for 2025. So, you know, you mentioned, um, I mean, as um, a COO of a um, startup, you know, Zoom, and, you know, your experience with TalkHawk and others, how important is it to deploy fiber versus other technologies? You know, we're seeing a lot of uh, pushback from um, the owners of other technologies saying, you know, hey, we should use fixed wireless or some other technology. But when we talk to Wall Street equity analysts, they're telling us that fiber is incredibly accretive. I mean, from an investment perspective, how important is it to put in fiber versus something else? Yeah, so it's quite interesting. In my back in the days when I started off in the Olympics, I was a radio spectrum guy and you know, I spent a lot of time making sure that the necessary uh, frequencies were safe and secure and there was enough data exchange uh, so that the Olympic Games could you know could could progress without any interruption but actually I look back on that and think that I was a fiber guy back then because the most important thing about getting wireless connectivity is to get the fiber as close to the application as you possibly can so for, for me, you know, 5G is a fantastic thing. I'm already excited about the prospects that 6G might bring. Um, we've seen uh, the benefits of SpaceX and the recent uh, war in the European area. Um, you know, there, there are fantastic uh, applications that rely on alternative technologies. But at the end of the day, they come back to fiber. And I feel that my passion is to get as much fiber as close to the application as we possibly can. Uh, and I think that's a phenomenon that's the same the world over, whether that's in the leafiest parts of the south of England or it's on the desk of that Wall Street analyst. I think the value is transcends both of the geographies. So I've got tons of questions here. So um, what percentage are you doing aerial versus um, underground? And fiber and your major build outs yeah so so for zoom uh, you know we really are focusing on using aerial as much as we can uh, and we'll you know we, we make the expression that we use uh, as much of the easy stuff as we possibly can uh, when you get into the rural uh, domains where there is a aerial rural already established then clearly that's still in the category of being with being easy um, but uh, there are also occasions when you actually might need to turn to a mole plow to reach out to farms and homesteads that are that are off the beaten track. So the the vast majority uh, of our of our deployments are, are definitely aerial. But that's not to say that there isn't a place for direct buried. All right. So um, you, you're government required that all new homes be built um, or all new homes built must have gigabit connection. Was there pushback, if any, from the telcos, cable, et cetera, on this legislation? And not that I'm not that I'm aware of. It's it's something that came into play uh, through the holiday season and it's something that's been out 
for consultation for quite some time before that came into play. I think most of us in the fibre market looked to our cousins in Spain uh, who have had this legislation in place for a long time. And I would go back to the comments that I made when you know, Britain was languishing in, in the 46th position, but had the, you know, the third most prolific use. And I think the imperative to get the, the, the country connected, to make Britain faster, that probably overwhelmed those parochial difficulties of, of preventing people. Uh, I think some of the problems that we do have in those multi-dwelling units or condos or apartments, or whichever language you prefer, uh, is catching up with absent landlords who perhaps own the property as part of an investment portfolio and then uh, subcontract the, uh, the relationships with the landlords and the like. Getting out to them uh, and making them aware of the benefit that connectivity adds is, you know, it is in itself a challenge. And at Zoom, you know, we've got a great team whose job it is to focus on that challenge and to make sure that we get as many people connected and, and ultimately as many happy customers as we possibly can. Well, Richard, there's a lot of questions we're not going to get to, so hopefully you can follow with them afterwards. Um, but we really appreciate your insights on the fiber deployment in the UK and the lessons that we can apply here in the US. Uh, thanks again for joining us today. I look forward to getting back together next Wednesday. We're going to be discussing fiber to the trailer park with Joe Costello, CEO of uh, QuickBet Internet, as he discusses strategies to close the digital divide in non-traditional environments and what others can learn from what his company's doing to make broadband more available. So you're not gonna to wanna to miss that, and uh, we'll see you again next Wednesday.